Welcome back to another episode of Third and Long. I'm your host, Sam Prince. Alongside me is no other who else than my co-host, Aaron Hook. Aaron, for today's first half of the episode, we're going to be discussing potential off-season moves. So let's start off with the first potential off-season move. If the Bears draft Caleb Williams, where does Justin Fields go? My first thoughts has to be the sh- Atlanta Falcons. He, first of all, he unfollowed the Chicago Bears on Instagram the other day. And Atlanta Falcons, they fo- actually follow the Atlanta Falcons on Instagram. It makes too much sense. He's a Georgia boy. They have Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Bijan Robinson. And they need a quarterback. It It's the most sense for him. Where else would he go that makes more sense? Nowhere else. Yeah, I, I think it's just become pretty apparent that... You know, the Chicago Bears are definitely leaning towards taking Caleb Williams with the number one pick. I think even though maybe that's been the consensus for a while, there was some talk of, oh, maybe, you know, you trade the pick and cheap fields. Why would you turn down a prospect like Caleb Williams? We're never going to see a prospect like him again. And he, he, I think he would make a lot of sense going to Chicago. Um, You know, with the new coaching staff they're going to have there with Shane Waldron and... um, Sort of the weapons they have there in Chicago. I think Taylor Look, will have a nice time fitting in, but I agree with you. I think Atlanta would make a lot of sense for Fields as well. Uh, let me get back to Fields in a second. Sale Caleb, even though Caleb is this all-star prospect of one of the best prospects we have ever seen, look, Aaron, the problem is, who's he throwing to and who's protecting him? You're talking about Caleb. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, you have DJ Moore there uh, in Chicago. I think Cole Komet last year took a step up. He's become, you know, a, a nice kind of I think top ten est tight end in the league. Um, Darnell Mooney, I, I think, is kind of a guy where you would you look at him as someone you really want as your number three. So I think the Bears, if they add a weapon, Sam. They're not looking too bad on the offensive side of the ball, really. I mean, the offensive line has been a little shaky. Need to improve there as well. But, you know, I don't think they're too far away from giving Caleb Williams a pretty good surrounding cast. And, I mean, what he had at USC was was not anything to write home about either, and he made it work. So. Yeah, but it's the NFL, not NCAA. It's the NFL. No, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I think... You know, he is a special type of player to where he can make stuff happen with a less than stellar roster. Um, he just kind of has that ability, like the Patrick Mahomes, a guy who he obviously has drawn whoa, 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 comparisons whoa. Are to. Are already comparing him to Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> I'm just saying in terms of play style. The greatest quarterback of all time. We cannot compare him to Patrick Mahomes. That's I'm unfair for Caleb Williams. and not even unfair for I'm Patrick saying Mahomes. He, I'm saying he plays like Patrick Mahomes. To where, if you, I mean, he could have an offensive line that is going to break down, you know, on on a lot of pass blocking snaps and receivers that aren't always getting open. Uh, and Caleb Williams is the type of guy that can still, you know, keep you in a ball game. So I think Chicago made sense for him, but for Atlanta, I think my only concern with Fields going there would be that he's getting another defensive head coach, just like he had in, in obviously his. Tenure in Chicago with Matt Eberflus. He is, but Raheem Morris is will be one hundred thousand times better a head coach than Matt Eberflus. And plus, he's actually getting weapons to throw to, unlike in Chicago, and they just gave him DJ Moore. And also, Aaron, you also got to think about this: they played a much easier division. Who are they playing? The Saints, the right. Panthers. Yeah, you have definitely. I mean, you avoid Detroit. And Minnesota, who obviously lost Kirk Cousins, but and then Green Bay is they, they a team. own them. I mean, you any three of those teams. I, I think Green Bay and Detroit could win the division next year. Minnesota is going to be a good team if Kirk is healthy and he's there. Oh, well, Aaron, if he comes back, I don't yeah. think he's coming back. Right, and that's another guy you kind of look at some landing spots for. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is a veteran who can help you get to the playoffs right now if you're a team kind of on the fence. You know where I think he goes? Where? The Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I I, I kind of like that. I kind of like you that like for that? the Raiders. You like that? <laughs> I didn't even. Well, I didn't even realize. Um, 
Yeah, they. Where? What? What pit do the Raiders have? I will look. And also, Devonte Adams made a comment about how he thinks Kirk Cousins is a very good quarterback. So maybe that could be a signal. And when you have a head coach like Antonio Pierce, who's a head coach where you would want to play for. The Raiders have. Now we're all speculating this. He could just come go back to the Vikings, but the Vikings made a very large, a very strong attempt last NFL draft to go up and get Anthony Richardson. Raiders have thirteen. So, like in mock drafts, and I'm seeing they're drafting JJ in mock. Like drafts. here, they have here they have the Raiders taking Bo Nix at thirteen. Well, Bo Nix is not a top fifteen prospect. Really, you don't think so? Absolutely not. He's a second round pick. I mean, he is older. He's going to be 24 as a rookie. Well, so, obviously, you're taking him with the notion that, you know, you're kind of getting what you're, what, what, what's in front of you here, right? I don't know how much better Bo Nitz can get. But, I mean... Okay, Aaron, would you rather draft a... Okay, would you rather, if you're the Raiders, do you rather sign Kurt Cousins to a two- to three-year deal or... If you do that, you can then get another weapon or fill another hole the Raiders roster has, or you can go draft and develop a quarterback because they have not done that in a very long time since right. Derek Carr. Right. I, I mean, I think you just ask yourself, is this Raiders roster good enough to uh, to win if you get in, the quarterback? In my opinion, no. I don't think they're good enough to, to win if they get Kirk Cousins. You have... Someone named Patrick Mahomes in your division, and Jim Harbaugh and the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, I, I, th- I think Antonio Pierce. I, I don't mean to be like demeaning because I think he did a nice job last year. He but, did. He did a really but, good job. But I, I, let's I, I, let's let's pump the brakes. He's the, even with Sean Payton there. I mean, I, he's easily the worst head coach in the league in the in the division. And. You could no. I actually would put. AP. You think he's better than Sean Payton? Yes, I I I think Payton has a lot to prove. I mean, Payton obviously has made some qu- like the the Russ thing is really weird, um, and obviously the Broncos. You know, although they had a nice stretch, they weren't anything spectacular uh, in his first season there. But I don't know. I, I I'm not I'm not totally floored. I I I understand Antonio Pierce is a fantastic players coach and you know guys will go to war for him and that is important obviously but I don't know I, I think this Raiders uh, w- what is their ceiling even with Kirk Cousins what's their ceiling a divisional round D- a divisional round exit so or do you want to take a chance maybe and at 13 I, but again the, the guys you would be drafting around that range unless it is McCarthy who's a little younger like, Bo Nitz and Pennitz are both going to be, what, 24 or 23 as soon as they come out. And so, although in the immediate that might be better because you have more of a baseline, more of a guy who might be NFL-ready, I, I and get not, what a you're total, not a total project, maybe like to J.J. McCarthy, but at the same time, it's like if they're not getting much better by, like, year two or three, you're like, we just took, like, a, a mid-level quarterback with, with a top 15 you, pick. Well, you, you know? could also... Talk about this. And look, but Aiden O'Connell went five and four at the Raiders last year. I mean, look, he was nice. He was what? A, a, was he undrafted? He I was believe he was. Undrafted rookie. I mean, for an undrafted rookie, he played well. Yeah. But he's not the answer. And I mean, I think and, and they know that. Like Bo Nitz and Michael Penix could both turn out to be, you so know, you, phenomenal players. So you think but, Michael Penix is a top 13 player? No. I mean, they're not projected drafted? to go around there. But, I mean, so. I, That's I mean, the thing. I don't know. Is JJ McCarthy the answer? Like, <laughs> no, he's not. He he got carried by a very good Michigan team that led them to a national championship. And, and honestly, it, uh, I'll tell you, if they, I think if they really wanted to go after McCarthy, they would have they would have signed Harbaugh. Exactly. They would have said, okay, Antonio no, Pierce. No, actually, Antonio Pierce, you did a nice job, but. Actually, uh, we think this guy who's made it to a Super Bowl and just won a national championship is a little I better, and back. we want his quarterback as well. I don't think they would have been able to come back of not hiring Antonio Pierce because Max Crosby, Max not Crosby, Max Crosby and Devontae Adams made 
public comments how they wanted him as their head coach. And Crosby made a comment if Antonio Pierce is not the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, I will not play for them next year. Okay, fine. Fine. Well, then they better start. They better win. Because, I mean, if they go into next year, I mean, let's say they do get Kirk Cousins. Again, uh, let's play Let's play this game. They get Kirk Cousins. Are they better than Kansas City? No. Are they better than the Bills? No. No. Are they better than um, uh, the Browns? Mm. Yes, they are. Yeah, I would I'd maybe give no. it to the Browns. Are they better than Baltimore? Mm. No. No. Are they better than... Uh, <laughs> The Dolphins. Are they better than Miami? I think they might be I better than Miami. <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree. Are they better than the Chargers with Harbaugh? Absolutely it's close. Not. I think it's close. The Chargers are going to be a very good team. They're going to be a 12th to 13-win team this season. Justin Herbert is going to be in MVP conversations where he finally deserves and where he is the third-best quarterback in this league. Um, Are they better than Denver? Yes. Okay. How, who, who the hell is going to be playing Are they better than Houston? No. Are they, they better than the Jets? <laughs> well, yeah, are, are they better than the Jets? Fully healthy. Jets fully healthy? They're not better than the Jets. No. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. No. Okay, okay. Come on. You think the Jets with, let's say they did uh, Fawaja, and, and their line is like top. Their line has to be, all their, all the Jets line has to do is be like top like 18, and they're like. Top 15, that's all you have to do. Top 15, Rodgers fully healthy. Is that your Wilson dream? Wilson fully healthy, Brees Hall fully healthy, defense fully healthy. The Raiders are not better. Is that your dreams? I mean, I hope it's a reality. But That's not know. the question. Um, so, I mean, like, I don't know. The Raiders are an interesting okay, team. Speaking, and Kurt Dozen is an interesting guy. So, speaking on the Raiders, I know it's not a quarterback. I thought you were going to say, speaking on the Jets, where's Zach Wilson going to be? Well, I have, I have some ideas. We're going to go to Zach Wilson in a minute. <laughs> Devontae Adams. Yeah. I am predicting will be a New York Jet the start of the 2024-2025 season because did Garrett Wilson just give up number 17? Well, he wore, he wore five the, at Ohio State, and he wants to wear that. I, I, and I, didn't I, the Jets make several attempts to try to get Devontae Adams <laughs> at the trade deadline? Yes. I mean, it would make so much sense for Adams to come to the Jets. I just feel like... It would have happened already. I think I don't. I think Devontae Adams will be a Jet. I mean, if they did Devontae Adams, you, you you can't tell me they're not one of the best teams in the in the league. But okay, let's just you say can't they, tell me they're let's not. Let's say they get Devontae Adams. Let's say they get Devontae Adams and they give up this first round pick this year. They give up ten. They give up ten. Okay, then I mean, yeah, you're in a hole there because you're in a hole. You, you need you need a tackle. And you need a guard. You need a tackle and you need a guard for this offense. Maybe even two tackles and a guard. You need... Well, David Bakhtiari is going to get released by... I, I know. Bakhtiari, I don't think they're going to do it because they're he's, gonna, he, no, he's too injury prone. They're, he's, he's too injury prone. He's Rodgers' no, 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 he's no, no, no. If, if the Jets have learned their lesson at all, it's that Rodgers' friends either can't stay healthy or they stink. I'm telling you. Okay, Aaron Rodgers' friends are either old or they stink. Telling and you, same thing who with is, David Bakhtiari is a, gr- a great career, great tackle, but was, he can't st- Sam, he's played one game in two of the last four seasons. He's played one game. I just want to ask you a question. One game. Was Aaron Rodgers hanging out with David Bakhtiari and the Jets' old linemen? Yeah, where where were they? Golfing. Yeah, they were. Uh, were, were they in Vegas? Yeah, they were. Um. Okay, yeah, great. Look, he's there. He's his buddy, and okay, fine. If they bring him in, and he doesn't, and he doesn't stay healthy, then Joe Douglas. I mean, it's like, dude, well, have, mean, you, Joe, have you just simply not learned your lesson? I mean, Joe Douglas should have been fired this past season. The whole house should have been cleaned. But again, that's that's the double edged sword with with Rogers. It's that he wants the whole staff here, so they're gonna stay. Anyway, anyway, you know what? With the Jets, Zach Wilson. I think. Where do you think Zach Wilson go? is going to be? A Los Angeles Ram. He's going to sit behind Stafford. McVay is going to, McVay is going to make him everything he was supposed to be. No, Zach uh, Wilson just play out stinks. Maybe I, I, he does, but you know what? I think even if he does stink, the Rams just take a shot on him. 
just, just, I don't know. It just, he is not one, you know, Jets will pick up his option and trade him. And then it's one year. If you like what you see, you keep him as a backup. Sit behind Stafford until Stafford's out the window. See what you got. McVeigh, if it doesn't work, just retire, dude. He's wanted to retire anyway. So it's like, you know, you don't have to deal with Zach Wilson. And it's closer to home for him, obviously. You know, he's from Utah. So it's like, I, I think everyone wins. I think everyone wins. It's a low-risk, high-reward move for the Rams, um, who are obviously going to look to compete again next season with Stafford. I don't think... And then, look, Zach Wilson, dude, all you got to do is sit behind, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback. You think Stafford's a Hall of Famer? Yes, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that. What, <laughs> okay, fine. What, what makes him Hall of Fame worthy? Sit behind, uh, well, I mean, he did win a Super Bowl. And? I mean, Cooper Cup was the MVP, but Stafford was great all year. Um, he... Is he he has to be the Lions' all time leading passer. Yeah, he is. Um, I mean, he was just playing for a garbage franchise, and he was always seen as a top ten quarterback. To me, that that his talent his talent has always been around the top ten, maybe at his peak, maybe even top five range. So I think just the just the way he's been consistent throughout his career, uh, I think Stafford is probably. A Hall of Famer, or close to a Hall of Famer, but that's something maybe we can ask our our guest coming up a little later. Do we want to reveal our guest? Uh, no. I think we'll. I think I think we'll introduce him at the start. He he's held, he's being held up right now. Uh, he's being held up right now at the dentist's office. Um, so we're we're waiting for him to give us a call. We're waiting for him to give us a call, and so we can so talk to him. Let's let's stick in New York, but to the better team, the Giants. The Giants. Okay, the, okay, okay, okay. I I have a very interesting scenario yeah, for give you. Me, give me the interesting scenario. I saw a mock draft yesterday. I, I was I wasn't going to talk about the draft. Oh, but okay. I'll then, give you the then, scenario. Then, who, then who's leaving? McKinney? Who's leaving? Where does someone named Saquon Barkley? Play oh, week one true. of the 2024-2025 NFL season. You want, you want me to be completely honest with you? Yeah. <laughs> the Jets? No. The Cowboys? I think he stays. I think, I think, and I was going to bring this up. If there's a scenario where Jaden Daniels is there at six for the Giants, you take, take Jaden Daniels, take you, pay, you pay Saquon, and you just hope that Jane Daniels either outshines Jones in training camp or Jones is so horrific that he takes the job from him in like week four. Well, and Aaron. you made Saquon happy, you keep him as a building block, and then if Jane Daniels becomes your guy, suddenly you have a very scary rushing attack with him and Saquon. Jane Daniels at six would be a dream. I know. Would be a Aaron. It he's probably be, not going to be there. But this gonna, mock draft had New England taking Marv. He's the second best quarterback in the draft. They have the Cardinals taking. Um, who did the Cardinals take? Yeah, who did the Cardinals take? Can we go back to the Saquon scenario? Yeah. Well, I said he's going to play for the Giants. I don't think he's going to play for the Giants. Okay, then where? I am not sure. I, I mean, am not sure. I mean, who need who need? I, I mean, think he's going to be a Houston Texan or a Baltimore Raven. Ooh, the oh, the Ravens would be so sick. I see Derrick Henry going to the Ravens. That's going to be even crazier. Who was the other team you just said? The Houston Texans. Uh, I okay. mean, Singletary was good for them this year. Okay, but I mean, obviously he's not Saquon. Yeah, but if you're Saquon, yeah, you here's the, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. Yeah, go, go. You want to look at three things: money, marketing, and if you're able to win. So what? So the money. This is what I mean. Any any team could, if they want to upgrade the running back position, just draft a guy in the second or exactly. third round. It doesn't cost you. What's Saquon going to ask for? Twenty million a year? No one's going to give him that. No one's giving. Not even the Giants would give him that. I think someone would give him on like a three-year deal. I think someone would give him like, like I don't know. I don't know what he would get. It would it would be between well, obviously ten and fifteen, but just the tag was at ten and the tag is at twelve this year. He wants at least thirteen this year. So three years, forty-five to the Ravens, Saquon. 
Or no, to Houston. But or or you could save fifteen million dollars, just draft a guy in the third round who might be just as good as Saquon is right exactly. now. Exactly. And you look at all the Aaron look, Saquon had a chance to sign with the Giants an extension in the middle of the twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three NFL season, but declined it. Do you want to know what the deal was? No. Uh, yes, I do. You don't want to know, or you do? No, I don't know why I said that. Uh, by the way, our guest should be here in 10 minutes, although we have someone rudely taking our space in the production Well, you studio. did not sign out. Okay, that was my fault. All right, tell me what the... Uh, Three years, $12.5 million per year. Yeah, so that's so he would get less than that. Or, I don't know. He should have signed the deal. That would be a solid deal for the Giants to have. He should, that that would have been a great deal. So for that, both but, sides. but he but he would have already. But he if he signed that he, he would, would he would be he would be entering the second year yeah. of the deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean. I mean. But he obviously thinks he's worth more. Which well, you could say as a player, just talent wise, he probably is worth that. Wise, but it's yes. the position he plays. But the position he plays, you made a good point, brings his value down and. Look, Aaron, you saw the 49ers. They can't win a Super Bowl as Christian McCaffrey is the bellhorn running back. We don't see that that often. It's been 10 years since that happened, and Marshawn Lynch with the Super Bowl 48 champions and Seattle Seahawks. You don't see a bellhorn running back leading their team to a Super Bowl. No. I mean, the last team that I really could think of that got deep into the playoffs, obviously outside of... McCaffrey and the Niners, but the Niners have so much talent around McCaffrey that it's like but, yeah. The Derrick Henry when the Titans beat New England that year and got the to the Bowl? AFC Championship. Did they win the Super Bowl? No, they did. Exactly, they did not. Um, I, so I, I mean, McCaffrey, McCaffrey's. I I wonder what he's going to get paid. Um, his next deal is going to be nuts. Because he's obviously I, just more than a running back. No, I hope Saquon signs a contract before McCaffrey does. Actually, I think. I mean, I think Saquon would probably benefit from McCaffrey signing first. Well, because, as a giant fan, because obviously Saquon is not, no one is Christian McCaffrey in terms of just his dynamic ability, but uh, and his ability to be a receiver and a running back. Okay, I got a question. But for you. I think the market would definitely be inflated if McCaffrey signed like a four-year, like hundred million dollar deal. You know, which I think he definitely could. I have a question for you. Yeah, the McCaffrey Hall of Famer. Yes. Yeah, I agree. He needs a Super Bowl. I don't think he needs a Super Bowl. He needs a Super Bowl. No. Uh, well, it helps his case. It, it definitely okay. helps his if case. he won the Super Bowl he, for the He would have been a lock. I, I think he already is a lock to be an He would have been fame. Super Bowl MVP. Unless he gets, I, I hate to say this, this is just weird to say, but like, Injured? unless something goes wrong and, he, he, and his numbers don't take off. But, dude, no, I mean, he's had, he's no, had no, two of the greatest running right, back seasons in recent yeah. memory in the last five years. He's had two of the greatest running back seasons Him and in Derek the last. Henry like, are the only active run, Hall of Fame running backs. Oh yeah, Derek. Uh, is there an old guy you're forgetting? Speaking of the NFL draft, we we're talking about earlier, Aaron. You know what? Why don't we just talk about some more NFL draft with our first guest of the new year? Yes, Craig Ellenport. Yeah, Craig uh, is a. Editor for Sports Illustrated, senior editor for them. He's worked with the NFL for uh, many years. He's made some appearances on uh, WFAN, and uh, he's been on television as well. He's an author of multiple books, including NFL 100, The Greatest Moments of the NFL Century. That came out back uh, during the 2019 season, the uh, 100th season of NFL football. So Craig has been around the game for a long, long time. He's also covered the draft uh, for many years as well. So we're going to talk to him um, and uh, pick his brain about uh, some of the stuff that he's done in the past and uh, what he thinks about uh, some of the top picks in this year's draft and more here on Third and Long. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Third and Long. Aaron Hook and Sam Prince here with Mr. Craig Ellenport. Craig uh, is the author of NFL 100, The Greatest Moments of the NFL Century, a book that came out in 2019, uh, commemorating the 100th season of NFL football. Um, and Craig is also a senior editor 
uh, with Sports Illustrated. He's worked uh, for the NFL and NFL.com for a number of years as well. And uh, Fred, my dad was also telling me that uh, back in the day, you worked for uh, Stan Fischler as well, who wrote the Hockey Encyclopedia. Uh, Encyclopedia. I was um, <clears throat> I was Stan Fischler's first high school intern. Yep, worked for Stan when I was in high school, which was terrific. Wow, that's awesome. So Craig obviously has a very extensive background doing work um, with the draft as well. And so we have a ton of questions. But uh, Craig, I think we just want to kind of start out with asking you in your current role, current day to day, what are you kind of working on? Is it kind of a mix of little different projects and, and kind of being all over the place or um, is it a lot of stuff uh, focused on Sports Illustrated, especially around this time of the year with, with the draft coming up? Right. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a senior editor for Sports Illustrated and specifically work with the in the fantasy and and betting verticals. So a lot of content pertaining to fantasy and betting, um, it, it, mostly in fantasies pertaining to football, because football, as you know, is king and fantasy baseball and basketball and other DFS sports are are popular, but they pale in comparison to football. So we do uh, even not even after the season is over. We uh, focus on football content there. I also do a lot of work with the football Monday morning quarterback group as well, editing some of their stuff in both in season and off season. And obviously, um, they're getting busy getting ready for draft and free agency at this time of year. Um, I also getting ready for free agency. There's a lot of names like Justin Fields. Kurt Cousins, Saquon Barkley, and many others. Where do you see quarterback such as Justin Fields going? Is it Atlanta? Is it Las Vegas? Is it Denver? Is it Pittsburgh or somewhere else? You know, it, it's it's a mystery right now. It, it, I My personal opinion is that the Bears, I mean, it, the ship has kind of sailed. It's, it's a shame. I, I think the Bears would have been better off um having him keeping him in the fold and trading that number one pick and having uh you know another top 10 pick besides that uh e either way they're going to be in good shape but i think uh having fields having played for three seasons they've lost that um rookie contract uh duration of time where they can really do a lot of things and have flexibility so uh it seems that that he's that they're going to move him um the steelers and the falcons are probably good spots for him. I, I think the Falcons would be very in, intriguing uh, and, and he's uh, he's got family roots down in Georgia. So it would be a good move for him. Uh, they've got talent on that roster on offense. So I think that would be very interesting to, to see what he can do down there. Um, so Fred, in terms of, you mentioned, you know, the betting and fantasy departments that um, you're involved in, what do you kind of or what is your take, I guess, on kind of betting in the modern day and how closely associated it is with a lot of the you know stuff that a lot of the promotions that the NFL runs? Obviously, you had the FanDuel uh, with with Grant and the Tint of Destiny and all this. Um, and also how fantasy and and betting have kind of tied in with each other. And a lot of these platforms now are kind of mixing both together. So. As someone who's involved in both, where do you see them going? Um, and kind of what is your current opinion on, on the state of those right now? And are you a big fantasy guy yourself? I, I think I know the answer, but. <laughs> I, I certainly am. I, I've been playing fantasy since uh, long before the internet arrived, when, you know, the days of uh, going through the USA Today box scores and faxing results to people uh, on, on the teams and uh, you know, it's come a long way. Obviously, the Internet has just uh, made uh, fantasy sports a cottage, a booming cottage industry in and of itself. Um, history wise and the way things the, the way fantasy and betting are intertwined is very interesting because when the uh, daily fantasy companies, when the FanDuel and, and DraftKings of the world launched, um, no, not gambling, but strictly fantasy sports, they um they went to the uh they, they went to the government and had and made a very strong argument backed up with a lot of money and from lobbyists and business and and lawyers and 
just a lot of a lot of financial business going on here where they fought to say that daily fantasy sports is not gambling and that's what allowed them to create these online businesses and they've since taken it and since gambling has become legal uh, they have since taken those dfs platforms and turned them into legal sports books and online betting has skyrocketed skyrocketed in the United States as it has really all over the world uh, or in, in many parts of the world. And we've seen that in the last two Super Bowls uh, have broken records each year for the most betting uh, in a single day ever. Uh, that was the case again in the Super Bowl just a couple of weeks ago. And it's not going away. It, it's it's very popular. Uh, you have seen now, you've seen these these new sites, prize picks, um, other sites that are launching that are kind of morphing the daily fantasy sports concept with the player props concept. And by sort of giving you the opportunity to bet on player outcomes, they're arguing that's more DFS and they don't actually need to have the licensed sports book to be able to have those games online. So um, there's a lot of creative uh forces at work in terms of building this business and it's only going to get bigger i'm a big player prop guy myself the nfl i love it i love gambling you know don't i shouldn't do it that often but you know over 21 and fantasy i've been playing since i was like 12 years old brother got me hooked whole family you mentioned earlier you wrote nfl 100 what was it like writing that book and what's your favorite moment from that book well, there are a lot of favorite moments. I, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun writing it. I had some uh, some some colleagues, some former colleagues, some people I've worked with the NFL provided some great insight and uh, help in terms of um, giving their feedback and uh, and suggestions. Um, really enjoyed doing it. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily a favorite moment, um, but there are, are a few themes in the book that I thought of as I was writing it that that stuck with me. One was that, um, you know, there are several moments in, in these hundred moments that pertain to television and, um, you know, the history of the NFL is television is so important to the success of the league from the birth of NFL films in the sixties, which was essentially its own marketing tool that got fans um, so engaged in watching football to the birth of Monday night football, which at the time was was unheard of. This idea of having a standalone uh, football game in prime time was unheard of. Now, now we get primetime games almost every night of the week, which is crazy. Uh, and then the other, and this segues in here to talking about the upcoming NFL draft. When the NFL first, when ESPN first televised the NFL draft, it was again unheard of. When the when ESPN, in fact, and this is one of my favorite stories, when ESPN had this idea, they, they were fledgling cable network that had no rights to televise major sports. It was, uh, you know, early morning exercise programs and some horse racing and uh, just, you know, bowling, nothing major. And they, they needed a way to get in with the NFL. They certainly were not big enough at the time to have uh, the rights to televise games. So they had this idea to televise the NFL draft, which was held in a, in a hotel comp ballroom and was not all that widely publicized. And the NFL said, no, the owners didn't want any part of it at first. And Pete Rozelle there uh, at the time, the commissioner of the NFL, who was a PR guy and a genius, uh, found a way. He said, OK, well, you know, our owners don't want you in the room but you can have a desk outside of the room and you can cover it like a news story. And that was the birth of NFL draft coverage on ESPN. And it's obviously mushroomed since then to the point where the NFL draft is arguably, arguably the biggest sporting event. That's not actually a sporting event. I agree on that. Yeah. I, I think right. The draft and Sam obviously knows the draft. Well, um, you know, the city that it's in every year is like, you know, the big reveal. And it, it, you're right. I think it just has like sort of that different aura uh, than other sports. And it took off 10 years ago when it left Radio City Hall to go to Chicago, then Philadelphia, then all around. It's 
it's the best thing for the NFL draft traveling around the city. It's the prize who's going to get it. And Detroit's going to do a great job with it this year. Yeah, I think Detroit's a very exciting uh, area for it. It arguably you would say the draft really took off before then. Um, you know, I, I have covered NFL drafts at uh, the Marriott Marquis, at the Jacob Javits Center, the Convention Center here in New York. Uh, but then during my stay at the NFL, they moved it to Radio City Music Hall. That was a pretty big deal. And it was really something to uh, arrive at the draft early on Saturday morning and see the fans outside Radio City on 6th Avenue in Midtown Manhattan, um, you know, just rabid and waiting to get in there and be in, in the auditorium at the Radio City Music Hall for, for two days at the time uh, of, of nonstop, you know, just, just crazy fandom. And then, and as you said, it got even bigger when they made the decision to take it outside to different cities each year. And it's now cities bid on it just like they've been on hosting the Super Bowl. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's what they call at the NFL, a tentpole event, right? These are these big events. The NFL has done that with the draft. They've done it with the combine now, which is a big deal and fans showing up for, um, you know, any chance they can get to make an event out of these things. And they've always been successful. So, Fred, for 12 years, you were the senior editor at NFL for NFL.com. What was kind of that experience like, you know, being in that position and using the website as kind of a tool to help market the lead, um, help show off all the star players and everything that was going on with the lead during that time? It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It, it was fascinating and very interesting and very eye opening. Um, you know, I, I joined the NFL in 2000. Um, NFL.com, I believe, was born in 1995. Uh, which obviously was the extreme early days of the internet. And so it grew very slowly at the time. Um, the NFL, again, going back to fantasy, interestingly enough, you know, the NFL was at, at first very much against fantasy football. Um, you know, the owners, the, the the teams were afraid. They didn't want fans to, uh, for instance, uh, the Denver Broncos would not want Denver Bronco fans to play fantasy football and have Oakland Raiders on their fantasy team that they were rooting for. Um, you know, it became something like that. When I got there in 2000, um, there were studies done that showed that the average fantasy football player watches much, much more football each week than the average fan. So they finally learned that fantasy football was good for the NFL business and they got into it. So uh, it was interesting to see the growth of that and how that became a big part of NFL.com. Um, a few years into my stay there was the birth of NFL network, which obviously has thrived and gotten bigger each year. And they host our hosting games and playoff games and uh, engaging fans around the world, um, around the world. Again, international was a big thing that we did with NFL.com and um, getting promoting fans and promoting uh, the sport around the world. And as we see now, this year, there's going to be a game in South America, which is unbelievable. And two years from now, there'll be a game in Madrid. Uh, last two years, we've seen games in Germany. And of course, England has had it for many years now. So uh, it, it was amazing to see the growth uh, while I was there. Talk about the growth of international football. How do you think the NFL's going with that growth and do you think they'll ever be a international team <clears throat> it's hard to imagine um it, it, it's not hard to imagine because anything can happen um but um yeah i think there's just so many logistics that they would have to work out um you know there's been this idea that there could be um just a whole division um, overseas, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars are probably at the forefront in terms of an individual team that has invested in, an incredible amount of time uh, in in England, mainly because their owner also happens to own a soccer team. But um, I think it's going to be tough. I, you know, I think there's been talk more of a Super Bowl played in London, for instance. Um, I, I can sort of see that, although the time difference, it's going to be very odd to, to figure out how they would do that. But I, I could see that happening. Yeah, no, I think eventually it's just inevitable at this point. I think the only thing that makes sense would be a division. So they wouldn't have to travel 
really across the pond each week. It would have to be in Europe, probably maybe in one team in Madrid, one team in London, another team in London, and maybe one team in Munich. We'll, we'll have to see. So, Craig, I understand you also help put together the official program for the NFL every season. Is that correct? Um, I, I didn't. That was one of my responsibilities when I was at the NFL, um, okay. working with uh, a third party publishing company that produces the program every year. And it, always, always a, a lot of fun working on it. I actually still write for them um, even now. And every year I do the uh, the NFC team preview. So uh, I did the scouting report for the 49ers this year. It was uh, fun as always. They do a great job. They, so, they, produce, they produce the uh, U.S. Open tennis program and the Masters golf program, the Pro Football Hall of Fame program, which I also write for uh, each year when I get the chance. So a lot of fun. What was your specific role in helping with the program? Was it just overseeing um, kind of the structure of the program or was it kind of taking on specific areas to write? It was, you know it was a little of everything, you know, again, mm -hmm. uh, the, the way that business works with the NFL is that it, it's this uh, separate third party publishing company that produces the program. So they have their own editor, they have their own art staff, they have their own salespeople sell ads, but they work very closely with the NFL. Uh, and, and I am the main con, I was the main contact at the NFL working with them. So it was you know, because editorial is my background, I did work with them closely in terms of story ideas, um, figuring out who's going to write those stories. Um, you know, over the years as the NFL net as NFL.com and NFL Network grew, we always tried to get NFL.com and NFL Network talent to write those stories. Um, I would see all the stories after they were produced and and on, you know, laid out in the magazine and send them around for approvals. Uh, it was also very interesting that I would work with the, with our sponsorship team on ads that were running in the program. So every ad that was running in the Super Bowl program, I had to see and pass around to the uh, relevant uh, contacts in the NFL office to make sure everybody was okay with it. Uh, and that is a, a uh, an interesting um, job in and of itself because the NFL sponsorship group has very strict and very specific uh, rules in terms of what anyone can and can't do. Uh, if the if, if the if, uh, you know if Anheuser Busch is the official beer sponsor of the NFL, then you can't have another beer company advertising in the Super Bowl program. If you don't have an official sponsorship with the NFL, you can't have a player. You, you can have a player endorsing your product, but not in uniform. So there are a lot of a lot of rules to be followed when it comes to the advertising. So that was an interesting part of the job. That sounds very interesting. And Craig, you've been through this industry for many years. And how do you see the future of sports journalism? <clears throat> it's um it's tricky. It, it's it's very tricky. And I'm I'm living it right now at Sports Illustrated where um, they're going through some changes and a little bit of uncertainty. Um, the streaming world has changed the media business uh, incredibly. I mean, um, you know, and, and, and corporate America in general makes it tough because journalism had was never originally meant to be um, a huge profit center. So, you know, for instance, CBS Sports just broadcast the most watched event in the history of television in Super Bowl 58. And uh, one day after that was announced, their parent company, Paramount, laid off 800 people. So it's a very shaky. The, the media business is a little shaky right now. Uh, it'll always be around because there are uh, when it comes to sports media, sports to cover. When it comes to news, there's news to be covered. Um, it's just a it, it's a very delicate balance between um, the corporate bosses, the corporate owners and that run certain media businesses and um, and the need for them to make money. And hopefully there can be a balance that keeps journalism afloat uh, and, and, and working properly. In terms of the draft this year, I think 
you know, this is obviously a draft where perhaps the first two picks, maybe even three, are kind of a consensus. But what do you think happens maybe after Drake May? I think, you know, Caleb Williams won Drake May too has kind of been decided on um, as, you know, Chicago and Washington's pits. But I think, you know, interestingly, at, at three, the Patriots to go a couple different ways, wherever Marvin Harrison falls in that kind of pecking order, I think is very interesting. So what type of kind of research um, on the top of the draft have you collected? And, and in your opinion, what, what do you think is going to happen? Because I think, you know, again, there are a lot of different, directions we could see this top 10 going you know i i think a lot depends on whether or not a team is um is desperate enough quarterback needy um and desperate enough to trade up to that spot um i I think that number three pick with the patriots is is going to be fascinating to see whether it's whether it's drake may or Jaden daniels because i don't know a lot of people do are getting um higher on Jaden daniels as a potential uh, to to jump over Drake May for that number two pick, but either way, uh, whether or not it's a trade uh, at that Patriot spot, it seems fair not not obvious or, or or clear, but probable that the first three picks will be quarterbacks. So, you know, the, then if you think Marvin Harrison is going to go number is going to be the first non quarterback taken, which makes sense, it's a good spot for him to go uh, number four at Arizona, a team that can use a big time playmaker and receiver. Um, so then it gets really interesting. And uh, I'll, I'll take this opportunity to tell you about my biggest pet peeve, uh, perhaps of draft history. And uh, and we're going to see it play out this year because Georgia tight end Brock Bowers is a top prospect. A lot of people are projecting him to go number five overall in, in the draft here. And I would tell you, it would be the dumbest pick. Um, well, it would be the dumbest pick in the history of the draft. The dumbest pick in the history of the draft prior to this being when the Atlanta Falcons took Kyle Pitts just three years ago. Because I will argue, and I, and I I have absolute confidence in saying this, that a tight end should never, ever, ever be drafted in the top 10 of an NFL draft. It's a wasted pick. And if you look at the numbers, if you look at the history of, you know, Travis Kelsey, second round pick, Sam Laporta had a great year this year, was a second round pick. George Kittle was a fifth round pick. Tight ends will will be productive. Uh, Tight ends that are available later in the draft will be productive. It's a fact. And it's not that these guys aren't. I mean, Kyle Pitts may turn it around and have a good career. And Brock Bowers may be as good as they think he's going to be. But I would argue that there are better players at other positions that you are wasting the chance to draft. And just look at the Kyle Pitts pick three years ago when Jamar Chase and Jalen Daniel, uh, Jalen Waddell were both were picked immediately after him. How do you think the Falcons feel about missing out on those guys? I mean, the Falcons probably want a player like Jamar Chase over Kyle Pitts. I mean, he's been underutilized these past couple of years in his time in Atlanta. But you have a player like Brock Bowers who, Craig, I I was with you. I had that take for a very long time. But I've watched Brock Bowers this year, and he changed my mind. I think, personally, he's the greatest tight end prospect we've ever seen. He's going to go – he's my early rookie of the year pick. I love Brock Bowers. So, with your – opinion where do you think he gets drafted if your rule follows well if my rule follows um it would be i i can't think of who would be a perfect pick late in the first round um he won't let it doesn't matter my rule my rule won't apply because the teams don't see my logic so (laughs) are you for sure like what when i say 100 percent sure 1,000% 1,000% sure he will be a charger. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty safe bet. It's definitely a pretty safe bet. And it's certainly a lock that he will be a top 10 draft pick. And I can't wait a year from now to look at the players who are taken right after him and say that's who the, whoever that team 
that took him should have taken. I, I just look a tight end to me is a player who's not fast enough to be a receiver and not big enough to be an offensive lineman. So if you can get a receiver or an offensive lineman that you at, at that, you know, a top 10 receiver or offensive lineman to me is more valuable than a top 10 tight end any day of the week. And I, it doesn't matter how good Brock Bowers is going to be because look, if, if he's, if he's good, you know, he's going to put up numbers that are still not as good as your top receiver. Understandable on that. So in your opinion, speaking of the receivers and the offensive linemen, if you had to rank your best wide receiver coming into this year's NFL draft and your best lineman, my best wide receiver, number one is Malik Neighbors, and then I also have as my number one lineman is Olano from Penn State. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as well versed in the offensive line class, uh, here. I, you know, I, I've, I've heard good and bad things about Joe Ald from Notre Dame, uh, as well as the Penn state prospect. Um, not necessarily prepared to, to make that pick. Um, the receiver class, I mean, look, you've, you've got three great receivers at the top of this class. We've already talked about Marvin Harrison and, um, as, as, uh, you mentioned, um, Malik Neighbors at LSU is is a dynamic player, and Rome Madunze from Washington uh, also to me is high on this list. I mean, he he was spectacular to watch this year. You know, I'm personally in love with Madunze and Neighbors. So, from your scouting so far, who is the prospect where it's a can't miss prospect for you? Um, <clears throat> I mean it. I think I think it I think it might be Dunze. Yeah, I had a great year at Washington. They've got three guys really that I think probably what three guys are going top two three rounds. So um, they had a great cast there. Um, so we're gonna wrap it up. Um, but Craig, I, I want to thank you for coming out. I think lastly we can ask because Sam is a Giants fan. And you're a Jets fan. I am a Jets fan. Uh, I am, a, and I am a Giants fan, Sam. So smart. There you go. <laughs> so, what do you think the Giants should do at six, and what the what should the Jets do at at number ten um, in in the draft? Well, you know, we we talked about a Dunze, and and I'd like to see him fall to the Giants at that spot. And it, it sounds like there's a good chance he will. Um, you know, and it, he or neighbors, one, one of the two. Uh, should should certainly be there, and, and I'll be very happy to see that happen. The Jets, if they do anything except take the best offensive lineman available, they'd be crazy, uh, right? I mean, regardless of what happens at quarterback, uh, regardless of how Aaron Rodgers' Achilles is, uh, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback on that team. If they don't improve that offensive line, uh, I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Brees Hall and you've got Garrett Wilson and you've got good players on defense. They need that offensive line to come through. Great. Definitely agreed. Um, thank you, Mr. Craig Allenport, senior editor at Sports Illustrated and a uh, new friend of the show. Um, thank you for coming on. Anytime, um, guys. My pleasure. It was a pleasure talking draft. And this is the first time. Uh, we got a guest this year, so uh, yes. Greg, you're the first of the of the new year. <laughs> Excellent, Thank you. proud, proud to be number one. <laughs> Peace out.